This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Non-invasive ventilation complications by Dr. Robert Graham. Please note that in this video we will be following the guidelines used at Boston Children's Hospital. Some of this information may need to be modified based on the equipment, guidelines, and practices in place in your institution. Hi, I'm Dr. Robert Graham. I'm an associate in the Division of Critical Care Medicine with the Department of Anesthesia at Children's Hospital Boston. Today, I'm going to talk to you about complications of non-invasive ventilator support. There are complications, as we've sort of talked about, um, when considering non-invasive ventilation. Skin integrity is, is definitely a concern. And there are a variety of types of interfaces. And I often would recommend that people consider alternating between interfaces, 12-hour periods alternating, every other day alternating. Um, when you have something that's pressure on your face, either just a nasal mask, a full nasal mouth mask or the full hockey mask, they're actually non-invasive ventilations that uh, encompass the entire face, that the pressure points over the skin can cause skin breakdown, actually decubitus ulcers, if you will, um, that are a nice nidus for infection. This is definitely a concern, especially for our immunocompromised patients, and something that we watch for very closely. You can sometimes circumvent these by placing uh, different types of uh, barriers um, and different types of skin care underneath, or simply, as I said, alternating the mask and loosening or tightening appropriately. Gastric distension is definitely a concern. Almost anyone who's on non-invasive ventilation will have a degree of aerophagia, where they are swallowing air in addition to inflating their lungs. This leads to gastric distension and the potential for discomfort as well as vomiting. So if you have a patient who has a nasogastric tube in for venting, that's very helpful. Or if they have an implantable gastrostomy tube, I would recommend venting that to allow air to escape so that you're not pushing up on the diaphragm, decreasing your functional residual capacity, and also increasing their risk of burping and aspirating uh, any gastric contents. Nasal pharyngeal dryness uh, in the past has been a concern, but most of our BiPAP machines and our ventilators that are BiPAP adaptable uh, now have humidification, so that's no longer really an issue. Um, and vasomotor rhinitis, conversely, as someone comes off the BiPAP um, and their nasal, um, nasal pharynx vessels vasodilate after being on BiPAP, uh, patients would complain of rhinitis. Again, because of the humidification, this is rarely an issue uh, these days. Aspiration risk we've talked about. Full face masks, either the circumferential face or the nasal uh, oral face uh, mask, do place patients at risk for aspiration if they vomit into the mask. Um, it is because of this in some of the smaller patients that we usually recommend just a nasal mask. If someone who's either too weak to pull a mask off too weak to alert a provider that they vomited, um, or too weak to pull the mask off, um, nasal masks are a nice alternative. And uh, we'll talk a little bit further about how to adapt um, for someone who's got a nasal mask with an oral leak. So air leaks are definitely a concern um, either in the circuit, 
So make sure your circuit's uh, affected, um, uh, rather connected properly. Um, air leaks from the pleural space are unlikely to be caused by non-invasive ventilation, partially because there's definitely a dampening of the pressure dialed into the ventilator as it transmitted through the upper airways, and you're unlikely to develop significant um, air leak as a result of that. Now, the air leak, as it were, from the mouth, if you have someone just on a nasal interface, um, the air is being blown in through the nasopharynx, some of it is being transmitted into the lungs, some of it to the stomach, um, and then some of it will actually be exiting through the mouth as the lower pressure gradient. A way to compensate for that is actually to either increase your flows and pressures, um, or sometimes we'll use a chin strap, a little bit of a jaw thrust, and other positioning just to help with that. Um, Remarkably, most patients, uh, regardless of their sort of um, level of consciousness or development, can usually coordinate that the oral leak is minimal. Acute airway obstruction actually may be uh, exacerbated by the use of non-invasive ventilation and is definitely something to watch for. When you apply a full face mask or the circumferential mask um, with the bonnet and the straps that go along with it, you may in fact actually displace the mandible backwards. As you put the mask on, there's pressure that's applied to the mandible and you may actually be forcing it back. And with that goes the tongue. Um, and you may actually create a significant amount of <clears throat> retropharyngeal airway obstruction. The way to test that is again to do a jaw thrust and that will help you identify the problem um, and then really sort of address it. Again, you may be able to just loosen the straps a little bit um, or transition to a nasal mask. If in fact you can't provide the amount of support needed um, with just a nasal mask or you have it's not practical to provide continuous jaw thrust, you may need to consider um, transitioning to a translaryngeal airway or other types of support. Airflow-induced um, arousal or sleep disturbance. This is more of an issue for long-term patients on non-invasive ventilation, but certainly in a critical ill patient who's agitated uh, because of the BiPAP, this is not necessarily tenable either. Uh, Long-term facial uh, and sinus development uh, is again a concern for the very smallest of children, patients with central hypoventilation or long-term uh, lung disease, um, chronic airway obstruction, where they're wearing masks 12 hours a day for months and months at a time at a very young age um, as the face develops. You can actually contribute to mid-face hypoplasia over time. Um, there are uh, times where people are not able to trigger the ventilator. Again, this is really dependent upon the type of BiPAP uh, machine that you have or CPAP machine that you have um, and the type of interface. Uh, the more sophisticated models actually have spontaneous and timed modes or uh, combined spontaneous and timed modes uh, with varying degrees of flow or volume trigger um, and also mandatory rates. This is not an issue so much anymore that you can actually usually adapt the machine to meet the patient's needs, uh, independent of their size or degree of weakness. That concludes our video on non-invasive ventilation complications. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.